Hi guys, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Cassidy Cook, and this podcast is going to showcase my book called Liquid Lineage. You are listening to Episode 1, Chapter 1. Lachlan Luker, Crane's father, sat him down by softly but firmly pulling on his forearm, bringing it to touch the armrest on the prominent dining room chair. Crane's father was a man of mystery, his family too, in which all the descendants fall in a janky line of wealthy misfits, oddball burnouts, and swanky strikeouts. Unbeknownst to the outside world, this bloodline is poisoned. Poisoned by millennia of ego and greed. Poisoned by the taking of everything that isn't theirs. Day and night, the Luker family stumbles around the house, drunk with the need to fill the hole in their chest. Scribbling their names on unsuspecting objects, claiming them so their ancestors can't. Selfish scoundrels roam the wooden hallways in search of anything untouched, anything and everything pure. Dripping in gold, this house has become a beacon of light, the way the sun seems to physically build up against itself among the statues, bowls, rings, and chandeliers. The town gleams because of this house and no other reason. This house is how the town got its name. The people who live here call it Yellow Hills, the way the mountains sitting weightless behind the mansion seem endless and unforgiving, beautifully full and haunting. Those who are curious enough to venture past the tree line are either outsmarted by the elements and never seen again or pushed out by their own intuition. Never a war was won without the slinging of a sword made by the melted hearts of innocence. A nation where the tree tips shine with golden rays of blinding yellow and the roots sopping in red. What is plaguing my son today? Lachlan spoke in such a solid baritone vibrato that if you could visualize it, you would see a chocolate brown mud dripping over the edges of this table. His words felt cold and dead, but somehow would leave you dehydrated by way of perspiration. His words felt like the finger of a child, tapping relentlessly on the glass of a fish tank. Crane was the fish. Traumatized by his father's fascination of individuality, gripping him restrictedly in all his soft spots, shoving his thick knuckles deep in his gills with every syllable. Nobody has seen or heard from Murr. She was supposed to be back this morning. Lachlan noticed he had been exposed when he glances down at his sleeve. His pristine skin had slipped out from under his dress shirt, Men of his supposed age were not meant to be hairless, smooth, and supple, or containing no sign of veins or means of blood course. Well, we shan't worry, my son. Mercy is always messing about in the forest and is probably lost. Go hunt her down for me, will you? What a receptacle that girl can be. Crane turns his attention to his father's eyes and goes for a swim. Diving for an answer hidden in his irises as to why he chose to use that word when describing his little sister. Receptacle. Receptacle. 
It rings in his head as he peels himself and his forearms from the heaviness of this room. Trudging through the energetic sludge his father has spewed over the course of this conversation. By the time he reaches the door, he is already exhausted, and now the search begins. Crane, says Lachlan. One more thing. Be kind to Murr when you find her. She needs to keep her sweet soul beautifully ignorant of repercussion. It's for her own childhood's sake. It's imperative we don't strip her of that. Crane feels his neck tweak slightly as he soaks in the words just spoken to him. A thought flies around his mind like a wasp. He reaches into his mind as soon as he recognizes the inkling, rips its wings off, and calls it a liar. Taking his first step out of the mansion, his focus set on the forest, he relocates quickly down the golden staircase and plunges himself into the cold evening air. Yellow Hills was a war zone in its prime. Not a single war was lost on these grounds. Not to say there were no deaths, because there were, in fact, an alarming number of fatalities laid to rest on this land. Just none of them ours. One after the other, enemies were brutalized, bloodied, and forgotten. After colonization, many fought to write their names in the soil, to mark a fraction of it as no more than a possession. History claimed these hills long ago, suspending and dispensing those who are not fit for the task of fulfilling its needs. Over centuries, all the roots of all the trees had intertwined with themselves, intentionally tangling, becoming one mind. As leaves and lives perish, the whispering winds never seem to. A slick silence slithers down your throat, constricting any individuality you may have had walking in. Prior to entering this sea of green and grime, you will sign a figurative agreement to lose yourself for the preservation of the woods. When the first armies of marching men came, dodging trunks like swarming ants to relieve the lands from isolation, a wave of community swept over the grounds, cursing it forever with an addiction to ill-intentioned teamwork. An ancient and eternal aching for cult-like behavior. A deep, guttural thirst that gesticulates to the world around it. This place is inept at doing anything on its own and mandates assistance for survival. To further prove its inability to nurture itself, the past two centuries have been deemed unsuccessful at quenching the gnawing rumble in its theoretical belly. Now, something dark seemed to loom over the soil here. A smell of smoke hangs in the air, pinning itself mercilessly to the leaves, branches, and stems. The town civilians have written lore surrounding the vast scenery. Running circles around Dean Koontz, these storytelling tyrants were starving for answers as to why the trunks have veins of red intertwined with the bark or why the government decided to build a conservation atop the same lands that disheveled their own men. A wish to protect the worst attributes of this town had been made long ago, and they wanted to know the reason why such horrific moments were first protected and quickly buried. Like spilling coffee on a black shirt, unseen, 
inconspicuous, and strong in scent. This forest is the black shirt to Crane's family's morning coffee. A vicious amount of blood pools here, unaccounted for outside of wealth, war, and the forest line. To locate the coffee on the shirt, one must feel it, touch it, smell it. To discover the stains on this land, one must do the same. Although, to label this task as minute would be ignorant. In the fall, as dried blood browns and meshes with the forest floor. The Lucre mansion gleamed high above the town's less fortunate. A beacon of golden rays spewed from the corners of the stained glass windows. The sun consumed the house on the hill, blinding and blooming from the inside out, becoming the sun itself. The people who lived here didn't seem real. The Lukers became anomalies over the years. Vincent van Gogh paintings personified a greedy dragon's dream, where not only did the house drip in solid gold, but also its faithful and shy tenants. The family was not one to have barbecues or attend ball games on the weekends. Their speed was more parallel to nation's top charities events, community dismembering disguised as equality, and on a rare occasion shaking hands with political strong arms. When Meredith gets ready in the morning, oh, to be a fly on the wall, and if you were to ever have the displeasure of comparing the Lucre's abode to your own, you would see Meredith stoic, rubbing her chin as she decides which mask to wear that day, a daily task that requires foresight. Everything in this palace is made of pure gold, down to the nails in the wall and the screws in the bedposts. Meredith stands in her master bedroom, the epitome of absolute femininity her white lace robe dusting the floor as she paces in front of her shrine, keeping a close eye on the individual faces hanging on the main wall opposite her closet, each one accompanied by various expressions, energetic tones, small inflections that allow imperfection to creep through. Meredith was perfect. She knew it. Though, she was extremely intelligent the most studious of the family by far, and she knew very well that people don't trust perfection, and it was vital to be trusted. The whole family needed this. All the members of the family had walls like Meredith's, walls of hanging faces, beautiful, strong, jawlines sharp and lips soft. Depending on the duty of the day, the mask would be chosen with great caution. I think we can all relate to tweaking our appearances based on our surroundings, but the Lucre family took it to another level. The house remained at no more than 65 degrees. The humanoid creatures needed it cold. Meredith had her mask of choice in hand, looking back at the solid gold nail now exposed and without purpose. She makes her way to her vanity. Lost in indecision, she sits down and stares at the face cradled gently in her palms. Her daily tasks flash in her mind's eye, hoping she had made the right decision. 
She looks back at the wall to her left, now in ombre as the early morning sun saturates the shining floorboards. Shadows make clear something she hadn't noticed before, spiky points protruding out to grab her attention. There is a measly number of two faces left on the wall, one on the top left and one in the center, leaving 58 empty golden nails lying useless within the wood. You are no lonelier than I, she sighs against her dwindling collection. Against the heat of her skin, the masterpiece begins to slowly melt, dripping through the slits of her long, thin fingers. She realizes just how long she'd been sitting there, lost in the empty eyes of her soon-to-be identity. She pastes the mask onto her pre-washed pores, molding it to her prominent cheekbones down along her long, supple neck. It begins to breathe against her almost as if her flesh gave it new life. As she opens her eyes and returns to the mirror, she watches as the harsh edges of the mask become blurred, melting into her skin like a thick and slimy moisturizer. When life becomes too simple, our minds tend to go strange places. Meredith sets her fingers on her lips, lightly outlining them with her ring finger as smoke lines begin to form. The purpose is to naturalize herself, giving the appearance of a long life filled with hard work, morality, stress, and all things mortal. Rowan enters the room abruptly, jarring Meredith straight out of her self-induced hypnosis. It's ready, he says, as he swings open the large red velvet door. I'll be down in a minute, Row. thank you, she says softly to him, swiveling back towards her rapidly aging reflection. Carefully gouging a tiny speck of lipstick from the top of the roll-up, Meredith scrapes the vibrant red across her mouth before lowering her jaw and meticulously placing the speck on her front right tooth. Pathetically human, she says as she chuckles to herself and places the lipstick back into her vanity drawer. Before she stands, something catches her eye outside the window to the right of her vanity. A charcoal gray blob running out of the forest. Crane? Hmm, he must have been out there looking for mercy. She whips her robe, turning around clockwise, towards the door to the main hallway where Rowan had informed her of their supposed accomplishment. Her garb dances down the long cherry-red staircase with eye-catching swirls of golden yellow. The fabric seems to precede her everywhere she goes. Crane comes rushing in as the large entrance door creaks open with harsh clocking and knocking sounds, like a giant waking up from a hiatus. Crane, you're soaking wet, says Meredith. And look at those shoes. Why didn't you take them off at the... I couldn't find Mer. I was looking for her in the forest for three hours, and she was nowhere. Three hours? Meredith said inquisitively. Yes, I left at 8 and it's 11 o'clock. Oh, wow, I... I didn't... I must have... Hey, I've heard around the grapevine that Rowan has a surprise for us. I'm sure Mercy will turn up sooner than later.
Thank you all so, so much for listening. And if you've made it till the very end, a very big extra thank you. Again, my name is Cassidy Cook. This was chapter one of Liquid Lineage. And for now, stay solid. See ya.